Soulmates. Thanks so much for allowing us to bring you today's news. We appreciate you so much. It's all about this Wednesday, December 14th. Want to welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. We are honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across Black America and the stories that impact our people. That's right. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. And we begin with some breaking news today, some heartbreaking news. We are following the death of Stephen Ross. You might know him uh, as Twitch. TMZ is reporting his death as a suicide. His wife, Allison Holker, boss, confirmed his passing in a statement to People magazine. Twitch gained uh, fame on the show. Uh, so you think you can dance. He then became a judge on that show. He later went on to DJ and executive produce the Ellen DeGeneres show. He appeared in several movies, including Magic Mike and the Step Up franchise. Twitch leaves behind a wife and three children. He was only 40. If you or a loved one is struggling with thoughts of suicide, the National Suicide Hotline is available. Just dial 988. A viral TikTok challenge is one family mourning the death of their 12-year-old. Now the social media platform is removing content related to the challenge. Tristan Casson took the blackout challenge from TikTok where participants try to make themselves pass out by holding their breath or otherwise cutting off their air supply. The boy's mother, Taylor Davis, said her, her other sons found Tristan unresponsive in his bedroom and FaceTimed her to report what they found. She was just down the street from home and called the police. Davis insists that her son was not suicidal and that his strangulation death was the result of the attempting uh, online trend. Uh, she said that Tristan always followed new dances and trends popular on TikTok. Davis said her son, who was in the sixth grade, had a bright future. And he was the first person at his middle school to obtain a license to fly a drone. An unfortunate update to a developing story. The student who disappeared the night before his graduation from the University of Memphis has been found dead. Police say Barche Wilson's body was found near the Arlington water treatment plant beneath leaves and tree limbs. Witnesses also telling officers that a buried car, excuse me, a burned car was found yards away from his body. Wilson's mother says that her 25 year old son uh, said he was going to a party later that night. She got a call from a friend who said that Wilson left her house and never returned. Wilson was supposed to graduate from the University of Memphis on this past Sunday with the Bachelor of Science degree. We'll continue to follow this story and bring you updates. Just a heartbreaking few stories that we had to, you know, put out there, uh, especially during this holiday mm -hmm. season. It just reminds us to uh, be mindful, stay safe, uh, check in with your loved ones. Um, sometimes it's just hard to determine what's happening when you take a look at uh, Twitch's uh, account just a, a couple of days ago. Him and his wife are very infamous for, um, you know, doing dance routines and posting constantly family um, gatherings and things of that nature. So it's just uh, very heartbreaking to see that. Yeah. About it. Yeah. I mean, I woke up this morning to a flurry of text messages from friends, uh, you know, really highlighting the uh, the heartbreaking death of mm -hmm. Stephen Boss mm -hmm. of Twitch, uh, an, an issue that hits very close to home. I've lost a, a brother uh, to suicide, and uh, it's it's never easy. Uh, the lives of everybody involved will never ever be the same. But you know, I just want to underscore a point that you just made. It's so important that people um, 
you know, take the time to, to pay attention, you know, to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people's patterns and pay attention to um, what may be happening in their lives. You know, people aren't always going to telegraph that on social media right. or, you know, sometimes even in person. But, you know, it's important that we all operate with kindness and, you know, we all allow ourselves to, to be a safe place for people to share uh, some things that uh, we may or may not know that they're going through. Mm -hmm. I like to say tap in. Absolutely. Yeah. All Absolutely. Right. Police in St. Louis are investigating after a KFC employee said a customer shot him because he was angry. The restaurant was out of corn. Can you believe this? Officers say they responded to a hospital where the 25 year old male employee had been privately driven after being shot in the abdomen. Police say investigators also say the shooting suspect attempted to place a drive through order when he became upset and threatened employees when he was was told they were out of corn. Now, the report says the man had a handgun when he drove up to the drive through window. The injured employee who went outside to talk to the driver returned to the restaurant and said that he had been shot. Police are still searching for the shooter. The employee is recovering in critical but stable condition. A man from Saginaw will await his fate after he pleaded guilty to hate crimes for intimidating and attempting to intimidate people who were speaking out and protesting in support of Black Lives Matter. 61-year-old Kenneth Pallon entered the plea to two hate crimes, two hate crime charges in federal district court. Pallon was accused of calling nine Starbucks stores in Michigan and telling the employees answering his calls to relay racial threats to Starbucks employees wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. Pallon also threatened to kill black people according to court documents. Pallon is due to be sentenced on March 23rd, 2023. And President Biden is hosting a 50 hosting 50 leaders from Africa in Washington this week for a high profile summit seeking to foster future relations with the continent and counter Chinese and Russian influence. It is the first time since 2014 the White House will host a summit with African leaders as the Biden administration seeks greater collaboration on trade, investments, elections and climate change. The U.S. Africa summit comes while some African nations refuse to take a stance against Russia amid concerns over global food security during the war in Ukraine and as part of Biden's ongoing efforts to strengthen democracies abroad. Now, experts believe Biden's greatest challenge will be proving to African leaders that the U.S. can be a reliable long-term partner for a fast-growing continent. And speaking of the summit, while a significant majority of African nations joined the summit this week, five were not invited. A senior White House official this week said that four of those countries, Guinea, Sudan, Mali, Burkina Faso, uh, have changed their, government, uh, their governments unconstitutionally and were suspended from the African Union. Here are the five African nations that weren't invited to Biden's summit. Again, they were Guinea, Sudan, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Eritrea. So some, some got the invite and some didn't, you know, based on the politics, based on uh, the willingness to cooperate and also on, on some of the political history. Well, this is also a pro-democracy administration. And mm -hmm. for folks that are changing their constitution all nilly-willy, really it's doing it work. unconstitutionally, um, it would be, you know, sort of hypocritical for the administration to extend an invitation to them. Um, while there are plenty of other countries uh, in Africa, plenty of other countries that are part of the African Union, 
um, that are not changing their constitution nilly-willy. And mm -hmm. so um, maybe next time, you know, they'll, uh, they'll think before they do that if they want to be a part of uh, this uh, summit of, of African nations that are um, uh, working together to advance democracy. Yeah, they're going to have to get on board, at least if they want to uh, hang out with America. That, that's what it boils down Certainly to. Certainly the Biden administration. That's right. Speaking of yeah. uh, which, love wins as President Biden is, has signed the Respect for Marriage Act requiring the federal government to recognize same-sex marriages performed in states where they are legal. Now... The law requires that interracial marriage and same-sex marriage must be recognized as legal in every state in the nation. The bill was passed with a 250 to 169 vote in the House and a 61 to 36 vote in the Senate. The president uh, showing off the bill before officially signing it into law. New, a New Orleans-based federal magistrate judge has been confirmed by the Senate to serve on the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Dana Douglas was confirmed Monday. She was nominated to the appeals court by President Joe Biden in June to replace Judge James Dennis, who's retiring as an active judge, to take senior status on the court. Meanwhile, he will have a reduced workload. Democratic U.S. Representative Troy Carter of New Orleans hailed what he called Douglas's historic appointment as the first black woman on the New Orleans-based federal appeals court. The vote to confirm Douglas was 65 to 31. And a former Spirit Airlines flight attendant is suing her former employer in court, in federal court that is, claiming she was fired for being overweight and wasn't given the same opportunity to lose weight as a white coworker. Now the suit states Chelsea Blackman was unable to fasten the seat belt for the jump seat on one of Spirit, planes, uh, Spirit Airlines planes back in September of 2021, forcing her to exit the plane. Spirit then gave Blackman between September 3rd to October 3rd to lose weight so she could fit in the jump seat. Blackman was fired on November 3rd of 2021. She cited a white colleague at Spirit who she says also couldn't fit into the jump seat due to her size and weight, but was given, quote, several months to lose the, uh, the weight. Blackman was given a little more than about a month. Eh, I don't know. I know that, you know, you, you know, you're required to, <laughs> to be able to, you know, fit in, in the jump seats uh, as far as safety uh, is concerned. I know when it comes to passengers, uh, sometimes people have to double up their seats or ask for uh, an extender. So I can see that same sort of kind of policy, if you will, to, you know, spill over into, you know, workers needing to be able to get into those very tight uh, spaces. And so, um, I don't know, I, I, you know, that's gonna be up to the court of, of opinion. And we'll just have to, I'm gonna be anxious to follow this story. I know, you know, women of color, you know, we have a tendency to be a little, you know, on the curvy side. And, and so I don't know if it's, if it's discrimination or did she really need to, to come down um, with her weight, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, different know. different jobs have different requirements. Mm -hmm. If you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, right? I mean, these are jobs that require folks to to have a certain level of physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, certainly, you know, if if 
if there are requirements that are you know stated up front um, and if folks don't fit those requirements then as long as there's a cure period mm -hmm. for people to you know lose the weight or to get fit enough to be able to do the job yeah. then um, you know there shouldn't be a problem with that, but if she is either unwilling or unable to do yeah. that, you know, then maybe there are other job opportunities for her within Spirit yeah, Airlines. I, I, it just might not be as a, a flight attendant. A flight, but I want to say, you know, those requirements. I'm, I'm assuming are, are given up front. I applied back in my day. I applied um, for a particular airline, and back then I was like 160. I'm five three on a good day, and they were like, oh no. And yeah. to, to me, that was 20 some odd pounds ago. And that was very, there was very small in my opinion. Um, so I, I don't know, that's a fine line between what is required and discrimination. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in federal court. They yeah. told me no. Well. It was one of those hoity-toity international airlines uh -huh. that you, you know you wear the hat and the mm -hmm, you can figure it out I don't want to put it out there but <laughs> well yeah. it's halfway they, out they there. go for a very particular <laughs> look and I just did not fit that uh-huh yeah and I'm hoping it was size and not and not skin color yeah. now that I think back on it you know what I'm saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well we'll continue to keep our eye on this and see what happens um, now uh, off to Philadelphia where the school district of Philadelphia is hiring teachers that want quality and diversity. Uh, but the competition is stiff. Jeff Cole has the very latest. Make sure you're following along. The lesson in Takia McClendon's class of 22 fourth graders in North Philly's Bethune Elementary is energy supply. The students are anxious to take part. McClendon, 34, thinks just her presence is important. I also grew up in the school district of Philadelphia as a native, and I didn't always have teachers that looked like me, so I didn't even think all the time that I could be a teacher. And for the early part of her career, she wasn't. An apparel buyer for running stores, she wanted something more fulfilling. Last January, she began teaching math, science, and health at Bethune, a pre-K through eighth grade school of 478 students, all of them of color. I think people overthink what skills they can bring into the classroom, and I think now more than ever, the kids in the city really need adults to look up to. McClendon is exactly what the school district wants in a teacher, enthusiastic and able to connect Tuesday, and the district opened its yearly drive to hire more just like her. We need teachers. We need qualified, highly qualified teachers. We need a diversified workforce that look like the children of Philadelphia. There are some 8,500 teachers in the Philly public schools. Most are female and white. The district offers incentives to pull in candidates and is allowing 25 schools to offer jobs immediately. We are not going to let the fact that we're the largest, poorest city deter us from going after the very best teachers. Starting salary is 50 grand a year, rising to a peak of 99,000. Nearby Montgomery County starts teachers in a range from 45,500 to just over 60 grand. Pay is important, says McClendon, but there's more. The murder rate, the violence, um, the poverty, a lot of things that are happening in the city right now. We need to make sure that we're preparing the kids for the future. The superintendent for the district says if they want more teachers, they'll have to pay more. 
Uh, and I don't disagree with this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she just laid it out really well that you know, these are teachers that are expected to educate students in an environment where mm -hmm. there's so much happening. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, related to uh, you know kids trying to overcome you know some of you know the the tough currents of poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to uh, keep them safe in neighborhoods where uh, there has been an uptick in violence. Um, and you know, trying to make sure that uh, after school, you know, that they have something productive to do, and that they're not getting, you know, caught up uh, in in things that uh, uh, are not good for them. Uh, and so there's a lot that that teachers have to do, not just in Philadelphia, but across we see this board. in in yeah. major cities across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, that cities that, that teachers are on the front, the first line of defense. They're the first line of defense, yeah. um, and you know, we should treat them as such. We should pay them. As such. And, and still, uh, to this day, right around you know school time, you'll see teachers you know in the stores coming out of their own pockets mm -hmm. to make sure that uh, school supplies are covered or to meet where uh, maybe school boards are falling short, or to just make sure that you know they have things in their classrooms that they know uh, they're going to utilize in order to better teach uh, their students to sort of kind of compensate or make up for uh, what is not um, supplied, and so. You know, it's it's a big, huge task. It's it's more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. It is a it is a holistic approach that you're having to take now, uh, as a teacher that I still believe is 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 underappreciated and uh, underpaid, even after a pandemic when a lot of parents had to you know step in as the role of the teacher and really got an up close and personal perspective on how challenging it could it could absolutely be. I mean, I feel I've I've got friends with kids and and they were trying to figure out division like we didn't do division like this what what is this so it's very challenging and you would think that's a really good point that you raised you you would think that coming off of the darkest days of the pandemic where so many parents you know were, were wearing you know double hats that's right. triple hats they're cafeteria worker they were teacher they and were parent, so right? frustrated and so you would think that there would be a lot more sympathy that's right you know for what teachers you know um, have to go through in order to educate our kids yeah all right coming up I don't know about this, Indiana, but it uh, looks like you're going to take the cake for hate crimes. Mm -hmm. Learn the latest stats after the break. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Pay our teachers more. That's right. Welcome back. The director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons is defending her decision to rally behind a high-ranking agency official who climbed the ranks after beating black inmates in the 1990s. She says she feels that he's remorseful and deserves a second chance. That's right. Director Peters says, quote, he's not the person he was 25 years ago and that he wants to spend the remainder of his career helping people understand not to make those exact same mistakes. Staff saw Hinkle as a bully and regarded his presence there as hypocrisy from an agency that was publicly pledging to end its abusive, corrupt culture. This week, Peters spoke before the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, which has spent months scrutinizing the Bureau of Prisons' inability to clamp down on rampant staff sexual misconduct. 
Attorneys representing a homeless veteran in Colorado Springs are calling for criminal charges to be filed against Colorado Springs police after the alleged beating of the black man during a traffic stop. The recent incident involving Gadsden begins when a Colorado Springs officer can be seen in the body camera video approaching the window of Gadsden's car and informing him that he had been pulled over for driving a car without license plates. Now, the body camera footage released by lawyers representing Gadsden, who attorneys say was living out of his car, shows him being punched repeatedly by police. This happened on October the 9th. Now, this is the second time in recent months that CSPD officers have been accused of using excessive force. The West Windsor Police Department is looking for a driver who's accused of using a racial slur and spitting at a black driver in a road rage incident. Detectives said a black mother was teaching her daughter how to drive, and when the light turned green, she took slightly longer to accelerate through the intersection. Uh, a white bearded middle-aged man in a blue or green Subaru Forester with a Christmas tree on the roof blared his horn. Half a mile down the road, the mother rolled down her window and asked the man to be patient as she was teaching her daughter to drive. Police said the man shouted curse words and a racial slur before spitting at the mother and driving off. West Windsor police in New Jersey are asking anyone with information to call the anonymous tip line at 609-799-0452. And to Indiana now, where according to the annual FBI hate crime report, African-Americans remain the most targeted victims of hate crimes in that state. This year's report showed a decrease in overall hate crimes from 2020 to 2021. However, it shows only 57% of Indiana agencies are reporting their hate crimes to the FBI. A representative of the Anti-Defamation League is calling Indiana's 132 hate crimes in 2021 only one page in a bigger book. He says several agencies reported zero hate crimes, which is possible, but not plausible. Now, the Anti-Defamation League is reaching out to agencies who reported zero hate crimes or didn't report at all to better understand their situations and offer resources to help. Community members, along with the Atlanta City Council, are brainstorming ideas to curb the city's rise in youth violence. Fox's Mark Techner has the story. Communicate and talk to the youth that look like us. Get to these kids very early. A lot of kids are going home to no one. Where is this kind of collective leadership? One by one, they came forward, members of the public, all with possible solutions to teen violence. Tuesday night, the Atlanta Public Safety Commission held a special meeting looking for advice on how to combat the problem. The meeting comes weeks after 12 and 15-year-old boys were killed and four others injured in a midtown shooting allegedly committed by teens. One man says kids need to be part of the solution. Why aren't we designing these strategies with these kids in the room? Another believes mentorship is the key, showing young people they can turn their lives around. I've been to federal prison for drugs. Um, I'm a testament of it, and I believe that credible messengers like myself and the rest of the people here is needed to bring about change. One woman wants teachers trained to recognize gang warning signs and get kids help early. That by the time a child leaves school at second grade, 
when they come back at the third grade level, they are already in a gang. Other suggestions include more summer jobs and after school programs like student TV, sports, and music. Can we like try to pick up kids from middle school and high school for after school programs? It, usually that's for elementary school, but not for the middle and high school. There will not be a decision on a potential new curfew before January. I think I, I agree with uh, the folks who are making comments at, at the city council. I mean, it has to be, you know, across the board as to what we offer uh, these young people after school hours. We know most times, you know, heads of household uh, are still at work or, or preoccupied maybe in, in some kind of way. These kids are getting out of school at 2, 2.33. Uh, and, and they are, you know, just kind of, some of them, kind of kind of running rampant or rump, running free with, with no direction and no purpose uh, or no intention to that after school time. I remember, you know, growing up and I'm in my early 50s, I'll be 52 at the top of the year, there were designated after school programs, um, whether it be, you know, offered from the community or the school itself. So I, I feel like back in the day, if you will, there were more opportunities and, and, and more programs that would address this issue. Um, I, that's the, the area era of the uh, lock key, is it the latchkey kid? Mm -hmm. It was that era. Um, and so people were very motivated to uh, make sure that we were looked after. And I don't know if we've, as a community, if we've lost that. I mean, speaking of looking after young people, you know, I'm reminded of that famous African proverb that it takes a village mm -hmm. to raise a child. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that means that, you know, after school activities are critically important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we want, you know, the city and our schools to work together to, to make those programs available for all students, not just the elementary school students, but all students. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, I think there's an opportunity for folks in the private sector mm -hmm. in Atlanta, mm -hmm. in which case there are a lot of companies that are based there. There's a lot of folks from the entertainment industry that have moved there. That's and so, right. you know, there's plenty of opportunity for folks to lean in and create opportunities opportunities, you know, for kids to acquire new skills, yeah. you know, and uh, to be engaged in activities, you know, that are going to keep them off the streets and ultimately keep them safe. Yeah, especially for those critical years, because from what I'm understanding for friends who are teachers, it's that middle school, that middle school age yeah. right there where you really need to begin to press in, if mm -hmm. not already. That's right. All righty. Well, still ahead, more money for the HBCU. We'll tell you who's going to get it and how much coming up next right here on Fox Soul's Black Report. If you you want it, you can get it. <laughs> the yams, baby, get to the yams. <laughs> Welcome back, Soulmates. Allow us to run back the top stories just in case you're joining us. Some sad news. As Stephen Boss, better known as Twitch, has died. TMZ is reporting his death as a suicide. Now, his wife, Allison Holker Boss, confirmed his passing in a statement to People magazine. Twitch gained fame on the show So You Think You Can Dance. He then became a judge on that show. Uh, he later went on to DJ and executive produce the Ellen DeGeneres show. I even remember him hosting for a while. He appeared in several movies, including Magic Mike and the Step Up franchise. Twitch leaves behind his wife and three children. He was only 40 years old. The student who disappeared the night before his graduation from the University of Memphis uh, has been found dead. Police say 
Barshay Wilson's body was found near the Arlington water treatment plant beneath leaves and tree limbs. Witnesses also told officers that uh, they found they saw a burned car that was found yards away from his body. Wilson was supposed to graduate from the University of Memphis on uh, this past Sunday with a bachelor's degree in science. We'll continue to follow the story and bring you updates. And President Biden is hosting 50 leaders from Africa in Washington this week for a high profile summit seeking to foster future relations with the continent and counter Chinese and Russian influence. It's the first time since 2014 the White House will host a summit with African leaders as the Biden administration seeks greater collaboration on trade, investments, elections and climate change. And and lastly, a former Spirit Airlines flight attendant is suing her former employee in federal court, claiming she was fired for being overweight and wasn't given the same opportunity to lose weight as a white coworker. Now, the suit states Blackman, Chelsea Blackman, was unable to fasten the seatbelt for the jump seat on one of Spirit's planes back in September of 21, uh, forcing her to exit the plane. Spirit then gave Blackman between September 3rd and October. October 12th of that same year to lose weight so she could fit in that jump seat. Blackman was fired on November 3rd of 2021. Nick lie over to you. Thank you, Courtney. Now on to New York, where the exonerated five will be honored with a Central Park entrance in Harlem, New York. Yes, according to 1010 Winds, the unnamed gate, which is near the northeast entrance to the park in Harlem, will now be known as the gate of the exonerated. The cost of chiseling the gate is approximately $100,000 and will be covered by the Central Park Conservancy. You might remember that in 1989, five black and Latino teenage boys, Antron McRae, Kevin Richardson, Youssef Salam, Raymond Santana, and Corey Wise were wrongfully accused of brutally raping a jogger in Central Park. In 2014, all five were exonerated and eventually received a $41 million settlement from the city of New York. The unveiling ceremony is scheduled for December 19th. A long emotional fight to protect Philadelphia's mother church for black Catholics is coming to an end. Now, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia has announced that St. Peter Claver, the city's first black Catholic church, will finally close January 23 of this coming new year. Now, the church was originally dedicated in 1892 and has been a bedrock institution for Philly's black Catholic community. It is one of four churches that the Archdiocese plans to close next month. The others are Sacred Heart Church in Phoenixville, St. Philippe, Neary Church in East Greenville, and Holy Trinity Church that is in Old City. And I was born and raised Episcopalian. It's like the kissing cousins to, to the Catholics. Mm -hmm. We do things a little bit uh, differently. We, we welcome all and, and, and our, our priests uh, can be married, women, that kind of thing. We might even have a little, 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 little toast <laughs> after mass. Um, but I, I, I feel like the black Catholic community is still very strong mm -hmm. and, and vibrant. And, and I'm wondering, is, is this uh, you know, social economic? Is, 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 is it a is it a money thing? Because if I'm not mistaken, the Catholic Church has plenty of it. So I'm wondering what's the real cause of, of these church churches being closed? Is yeah. it membership? Is it, you know? Yeah, I wonder the same thing. I wonder the same thing. And, and why the black churches? Or lack of membership. You know, yeah, you know, that's what you I'm know, saying. I mean, there aren't very
very many black Catholic churches. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I went to Catholic school for high school, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was—I wouldn't call it a black Catholic school. Uh, there's certainly black people there, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it really raises some concerns. Mm-hmm. But you know, on on a brighter note, it's good to see the exonerated five mm-hmm. uh, to see them uh, recognized with, uh, you know, that. Uh, that, that new entrance over at uh, the Central Park entrance in Harlem, mm-hmm. um, really affirming uh, who they are and recognizing them as the exonerated five mm-hmm. um, after all that they've gone through. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see the, uh, the, the Ava DuVernay movie mm-hmm. about it, but for folks who haven't, you should absolutely check it out. It opened up so many eyes, um, mm-hmm. and and who knew uh, of the of the suffering that you didn't hear about, you know, in the papers and then in the news reports when they did cover it or cover it fairly, if you will. Yeah. And uh, just to see them continuing to thrive uh, is absolutely amazing, and and their families too. What I mean, just an, an unbelievable ordeal. Mm-hmm. And and now being on the other side of it, it's good to see them, these brothers uh, stand strong. And to correct that history. That's right. Connected to Central Park. Mm-hmm. Now on to. Uh, the Mellon Foundation, where they've awarded a $6 million grant to Wayne State University. The grant will help the university launch a cluster hire program that will recruit and hire 30 new humanities faculty and create the Detroit Center for Black Studies. The grant advances Wayne State's work to build a more inclusive and equitable university by prioritizing faculty and research centered on the black experience. All right, go Warriors. Black mothers in four California uh, counties will start to receive uh, guaranteed income payments for one year as a part of an expansion of a program started in San Francisco last summer. Now, according to a San Francisco Department of Public Health release, the Abundant Birth Project has been awarded $5 million in state funding to expand and support additional black mothers and families. The Abundant Birth Project is an SFDPH program that operates in partnership with Expecting Justice to support black mothers with guaranteed income payments to reduce racial disparities by easing the economic stress that comes with motherhood. Three U.S. lawmakers have introduced new legislation to ban TikTok from operating in the United States. The new bill by Senator Marco Rubio, the top Republican on the Senate Intelligence Committee, and a bipartisan pair of congressmen in the House reflects the latest escalation by U.S. policymakers against the Chinese-owned short-form video app. According to several news sources, the proposed bill would, quote, block and prohibit all transactions in the United States by social media companies with at least one million monthly users that are based in or under the substantial influence of countries that are considered foreign adversaries, including China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela. All right, we'll have to keep our eye on that one. With less than 1% of black ownership within the U.S. wine industry, the Association of African American Vendor is uh, offering a black wine producers and entrepreneurship scholarship, $5,000 in grants, rather. Now, according to the association's website, the initiative plans to deepen its commitment and impact in making the wine industry more equitable and inclusive. In the first quarter of 2023, the association will award $5,000 grants to five black-owned AAAV member businesses to help augment 
uh, augment rather their operations, marketing or innovation efforts. Applicants must be existing association members at the grower, vintner or wine merchant level. The U.S. wine market, which has uh, generated about $64 billion in sales, is expected to experience a compounded annual growth rate of almost 7 percent by 230. And that makes sense. You know, everybody likes the little the little the sip here and there. I'm not a, a liquor a drinker per uh -huh. se, but every now and again, especially on the weekend mm -hmm. after, you know, putting putting down all the shows for Fox Souls Black Report. Yeah. Sweet dessert wine is my thing. Oh, okay. How about you? I can't do dry or anything like that. I actually appreciate a good dry wine. I, I appreciate a good Sauvignon Blanc, uh, a good Syrah, a good uh, Malbec. Um, mm. uh, but, you know, coming from the Bay Area where, you know, we have oh, Napa yeah. Valley, that wine country. Um, capital. You know, it, it is an industry that uh, needs to be more diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes we see barriers to entry in terms of folks being able to afford those operational costs or mm -hmm. those marketing costs. And so it's good to see this association uh, creating opportunity. $5,000 is going to go really fast. Very fast. <laughs> That's why I thought it was a scholarship. I was like, okay. I said $5,000. <laughs> but, you know, but we are. You missing the zero? Okay. We are seeing movement, though, in, in, in the liquor uh, arena and, and the beer arena. Yeah. We we well, wine about, and spirits, yeah. That's right. We talked about uh, Uncle Nearest hitting that $100 million yeah. mark in sales. We've also ran a few stories about uh, black breweries and, 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 and their uh, lifting off the ground as far as notoriety and being you know, included in, in that particular industry and being recognized. So it is, it is happening. Yeah. And uh, grants like this will, will definitely mm -hmm. help. $5,000, probably more than, than, than what they had I'm prior to saying. getting the grant. But sure. as, as, as these type of programs become more successful and produce the, and yield the results that folks are looking for, I'm sure there'll be more yeah. money, I'm hoping, put forth to these efforts. And what's really great uh, and an important thing for us to note is this is only the beginning. That's right. Right? You know, we know that, you know, it's $5,000 a day, but could it, be a, it could be a whole lot more That's later. Right. You know, but the acknowledgement, mm -hmm. you know, the That's effort. Key. Uh, to diversify the number of folks in the industry uh, is not lost on us. I agree. Yes. Uh, so moving along, uh, living with an illness is a struggle in itself. Then you add the mountain of medical bills and many people feel as though they've lost that fight. But before uh, they lost that fight before it was even begun, uh, well, there's one family that's thinking outside the box when it comes to staying afloat while battling cancer. Take a look. It's an abundance <laughs> for everyone to share. We've got ducks and chickens. We've got seven chickens. What you talking about? Early girl tomato and a better boy. We garden all year long. Squash here, a labor of love and a garden of love. Five, six, eight. We've got eight okra plants. We don't have like open and closed hours. We pretty much just invite people in, share it with the community. I helped build and fill and arrange being able to see literally the fruits of your labor but not being able to get out here is it's depressing actually you know i'm grieving diamond's health and you know sometimes as a mom you know just like just really worried about the recovery path we're having a 
plant sale in support of Diamond's cancer treatment. Spider plants are pretty hardy for us to pay the bills, the monthly bills that we found ourselves um, incurring. <laughs> All right, thank you, dear. I have invasive ductal carcinoma stage two. It's a really aggressive cancer. Is it, it grows really fast because it feeds off of your estrogen and progesterone. So good to see I you. I now understand the stress that's on families. Sometimes two, three appointments in a day. Because I was trying to figure out how we were gonna continue to cover the bills. What do you want for a tomato plant? Um, nine bucks. And I was thinking, well, since I have to plant seeds for like the garden food, it flowers, it makes sense to plant enough. With lots of loving care. We can have a full scale plant sale to help, you know, with those finances. This is what we're doing. So yeah, next step, radiation, a five-year treatment plan. I take it one moment at a time. I try not to think of the long distance because it can become overwhelming when you when you're like your life is going to be on hold for five years. Hey, <laughs> it's been difficult, but at the same time, we've been trying to stay in good spirits. If people are looking, I'm waving. Right. <laughs> so, <I> look. <laughs> That's the <a> policy. <laughs> So appreciative, so appreciative. Like people overpaying for plants. You know, a plant $7 and they're handing me $20. They're like, hey, you know, or, you know, not buying a plant and still donating. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's meant a lot. It's, I'm so appreciative. The community is all about, you know, helping people heal. I'm glad you're doing good. And that's what it says that they, they care. <laughs> <laughs> The ladies say they will continue to host plant sales until their medical bills are paid off. What an incredible story. I could not imagine uh, having to face down a five-year treatment plan. Mm -hmm. um, but what's so beautiful about this is this plant sale, it gives, it gives her something uh, positive to focus on. It allows for a meaningful exchange with folks that are wishing her well and rooting for her. And um, what a creative way for a community to rally around somebody that is literally fighting for their lives. Yeah, you know, for me, uh, you know, I had to kind of take a moment because, you know, I couldn't imagine you as you were introing this, this piece here. Um, you know, there's so much uh, suffering and stretching that happens. Um, now, I've never been a cancer patient, but, but of course, uh, having gone through it uh, with my mother's um, fight, and I couldn't imagine if she wasn't properly insured, um, how that just, again, adds to the stress. And I think what is so, um, such a turnoff uh, as, as folks are, are fighting and, and, and battling, um, those bills start to come in, you know? And I know systems are set up and, and sometimes they're just automatic and they produce those bills and they mail them out. But th there's gotta be a human there who can just say, okay, let's just put a pause on this, mm -hmm. you know, just for a moment. I remember getting those bills as soon as my mother started her treatment and it was just it just added to her maybe depression and mm -hmm. just upset you know in regards to what's covered or what's not covered and so that's what I was thinking about when I saw that package there so big big ups to that community coming forth to really support mm -hmm. them in that way it's very tough and hearing you say that reminds me of President Obama mm -hmm. uh, who mentioned that the experience that his mom had receiving medical bills while she was going through yeah. treatment is a part of what inspired him to fight so hard mm -hmm. for the Affordable Care Act and so mm -hmm. uh, our hearts are with mm -hmm. her and so many other people that are waging a valiant fight for that's their lives right, right that's now. Right. Uh, coming up.
Takeoff's family is having a hard time in the wake of his untimely murder. The latest in the case and more coming up. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, soulmates, sophomore University of Southern California quarterback Caleb Williams took home the 2022 Heisman Trophy. Who went to that school? <laughs> His victory gave the Trojans their eighth Heisman win with more than any other program in history. The winner for 2022, Caleb Williams Southern California. All right, such a handsome young man. Although Reggie Bush's uh, 2005 win has been vacated, so they only technically have won seven. Williams's win also means USC's first-year coach Lincoln Riley has now coached three Heisman winners in just six seasons. Congrats to that young man. Right on. Now uh, <laughs> on to uh, Kevin Hart and Serena Williams and Snoop Dogg, who are the latest named in a class action lawsuit alleging that they, along with dozens of other celebrities, um, are um, out, uh, they encouraged their followers to uh, buy fraudulent NFTs. Uh, the two plaintiffs are seeking at least $5 million for themselves, as well as other people who were affected. Uh, the document states that most of the celebrities involved were allegedly recruited by talent manager Guy Osiri. In a statement, Osiri denied any wrongdoing, saying, quote, in our view, these claims are opportunistic and parasitic. We strongly believe that they are without merit and look forward to proving as much. Now, though the floor price for a Bored Ape NFT hit a high of $430,000 in April, it's now worth closer to $86,000. I still understand none of that. Okay, to Atlanta now, where a Fulton County grand jury indicted Young Thug on additional charges stemming from an incident on Interstate 85. According to court paperwork, the rapper whose real name is Jeffrey Williams was, over, was going over 120 miles an hour back in May. His new charges include street racing, reckless driving, and speeding. Williams is already in custody, awaiting trial on a sweeping gang indictment from earlier this year. Young Thug and 27 others are accused in violent criminal activity as a part of the Young Slime Life Gang. Jury selection in that case starts next month. An unfortunate byproduct of rapper Takeoff's murder is what appears to be a battle for his rights to his monetary fortune. Looks, look at the strained relationship between the hip hop star, uh, his mother, uh, Titiana Davenport Street, and his father, Kenneth M. Ball, who are both fighting over who will be in control of distributing and managing the late star's assets. Now, according to Georgia law, without a will, Takeoff's closest relatives will now inherit his wealth and personal assets valued at $26 million. 
This figure includes his music catalog and residual income generated from record sales. Oh, it's so important. It is so important to write it down. Even, you know what, a piece of paper and a pen. Something. Is even, Something. Is even legally block, uh, uh, binding uh, in, in court saying, hey, this is what I want to do. This is who gets this. This is who gets that. And how many times do we hear uh, celebrities and even everyday folks uh, who, who either pass or pass unexpectedly uh, not leaving any, any plan? Um, and therefore, you know, you throw it right to the courts and, and things don't play out as, as you would hope they would. And so this is going to be real interesting. Sounds like the two parents uh, are, are fighting over who's going to control uh, that, that fortune. Um, and and it, it, a lot of times it gets pretty messy. Yeah, and a lot of times a lot of folks sort of, you know, put it off. And, you mm -hmm. know, Takeoff was a young man and mm -hmm. probably, you know, had no intention on um, on you know dying as soon as he did, That's right. um, and so a lot of a lot of folks sort of put it off. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's important that uh, that we we handle that part of the business because mm -hmm. it's really one of the most loving things that you can do, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to leaving your family members in the lurch. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and that gives way to folks, you know, being really emotional and sometimes irrational, and so and really dividing families. At yeah, times. and you know, it, ma it makes the pain that they're already experiencing even worse. That's right. Yeah. Well, still ahead, the black excellence you need to know uh, oh, is just it's just right around it, the corner. It is. Uh -huh. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, Soulmates, as we continue with bringing you black excellence, we want you to meet Tamika Watson Bryant, who has made history after being appointed the first black woman to head a short line railroad in the United States. That's right. She is the new general manager of the New Orleans Public Belt, overseeing the daily task of ensuring the short line. Watson Bryant is following in her father's career footsteps, who worked in the railroad industry for CSX for 41 years. That's amazing. Watson yeah. Bryant spent the last five years overseeing business development and customer service before she was appointed to her new role overseeing 18 managers and about 174 employees. That's right. She says being a top student athlete at Elon University, where she was the first All-American softball player, prepared her for the responsibilities with NOPB. Last year, Watson Bryant was inducted into the Elon Hall of Fame. Congratulations. All righty, staying with it. Black excellence we're talking here. Want you to meet the Jackson family rodeo crew. You heard me. Rodeo crew from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Beautiful area. I know where that uh, is. Me too. A family of seven epitomizing the rodeo lifestyle and legacy of black cowboys here in the U.S. That's right. Parents Corey and Robin Jackson have dedicated themselves to supporting their five kids, four of whom compete and live the lifestyle to the fullest. Corey said that from the time he was a child, he always wanted to be a cowboy. His childhood dream was 
uh, wife Robin's norm as her generation's long family history as sharecroppers made growing up around horses a reality. The couple met at the famous Bill Pickett Invitational Rodeo, which celebrates and honors black cowboys and girls. They are raising five kids that are now the fifth generation of Wranglers on the land Robin's father purchased decades ago. Robin says she is so thankful as she had no idea how the decisions her dad made early on were gonna make an impact today. Their 14-year-old son, Nick, was named the 2020 Junior World Bull Riding Champion, making him the first ever in the Northeast to win with hopes of going pro. What a fantastic story. Now, I didn't know that there were, you oh, know, yes. folks that did that pro. It is huge. I remember moving to Mobile, Alabama, and they sent me out to uh, do a live hit at the rodeo, yeah. the Black Rodeo. That, that was different. I, it was that very was different, different but different. It, it's, a, it's a culture. It is a thing, and uh, it is real. And if you think about our history, that was erased. You know, there have been black cowboys before they were other kind of cowboys. Yeah. And so it makes sense. It's just that we, you know, we don't, we don't sometimes aren't as aware of it as maybe we should be, but black cowboys and, and cowgirls absolutely exist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really, that's really cool. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm familiar with the Bill Pickett rodeo. Yeah. Um, Way back when, when I was a college intern, an internet and advertising agency, and mm. one of the clients was the Bill Pickett Rodeo. And mm. so that's when I first learned about, you know, just the whole culture that's around right. rodeo and black folks, because you don't see that in a lot of places. You don't see that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know in commercial films, a lot of black cowboys, unless, unless of course, they're Django Unchained. I know, but there was a movie out based in Philadelphia with uh, Idris Elba, and they, it was about horses and stuff. I can't remember the name of it, but that was huge. And so they're... they're Every now and again, you'll get you'll get something from the culture represented. Every now and again. Well, that's <laughs> all the time we have for today. I'm the Cordelide Corte, and I am Courtney Hicks. And until next time, y'all, stay, stay lifted. lifted. Yeah, I can't remember. Like a rhinestone.